Good morning. My name is Jason. I am the facility director here filling in. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome. You will have to come back next week to get uh, more of our normal preaching and teaching. Uh, if you're at home, thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to jump right in with 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. This will be our verse for most of this morning. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy and laying of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that, you, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Before becoming a parent, I sought advice from pretty much anywhere I could find it. I talked to friends that had already been down the road to parenting. I talked to my father, who let me in on this real fun little fact, that he used a book to raise my brother and I called How to Train Your Bird Dog. <laughs> this was his primary source of information for how to raise my brother and I. Garrett, did you know that? No, had not heard that little gem. Yeah, me, me too, until recently. And no, it's not a parenting book with a clever title. It is a book about training dogs. <laughs> I listened to podcasts. I read books about humans. I visited blogs and even followed posts on social media. And in the world of parenting advice, one message, one message was clear. Routines, routines, routines. Now, as an unstructured person, I pretty much hated this advice. But I decided to humbly submit, and I'm grateful for the wisdom I was given. You see, as an adoptive parent, I have the gift of some unique parenting insight, I think. Especially since my kids are the same age, both adopted, but come from very radically different worlds. One we had from birth, and one spent time in orphan care. In orphan care, there can be very limited routines, routines, routines. I believe, honestly, they were doing the best they could for him. But with limited resources available, there was not time or people to provide many of the routines that are normally established within a family unit. While one son was getting his food from the same person at the same time in the same manner each day, my other son had many different caregivers, inconsistent schedules, and inconsistent provision. While one son had regular tummy time and story time and meal time and rest time and bedtime and knew what to expect with each moment, the other lived in a sort of maybe a scarcity or a little bit of a chaos, not knowing what to expect moment to moment, or more importantly, who do I trust? Who's, the, who's my person? Now, the science behind the parental advice of training in routines, routines, routines is this. Prescribed play, prescribed rest, prescribed eating, prescribed sleeping, all from a consistent caregiver, actually provides the child with what is called attachment. And from attachment flows their identity. It turns out that tummy time is not just exercise for a baby. It's this intensely formative process where the child actually learns who he or she is, especially in relation to this caregiver. Morning and bedtime routines are not just ways to get kids to learn some kids' stories or a way to kind of have things organized. These are part of an intensely formative process where the child learns who he or she is. And this process is so developmentally important 
that the child's ability to experience positive identity is actually hardwired into the brain. Actually, synapses uh, grow or uh, deaden with this. In fact, much of the science on this is so predictive that one of the required readings to adopt my son told a story that I found kind of unimaginable. It said that many children coming out of orphan care who become able to understand but not yet necessarily able to speak can communicate their identity to you through a simple exercise. You're supposed to pick up a stuffed animal, tell the child to pretend the animal is them, hand the child the animal, and watch what they do. Many, this book said, will take the toy and they do this bizarre thing. They take it and they toss it in the trash. It's a bizarre phenomenon. I almost didn't really buy into it. After having my son for a time, though, I decided, eh, let me try this myself. Of course, I doubted it would play out with my child, and I don't think this is consistent for every child that grows up in orphan care. But I wanted to see where we were at, maybe. It's interesting, at least. So I held up this stuffed bear, and I said, son, this is you. This is Brighton. I love Brighton. And I would hug the bear. What do you think of it? And to my amazement, and really my shock and my horror, my son did something very intentional I couldn't deny. He walked out of the bedroom. He walked all the way across our living room. Then you have to take a hard right, go through the kitchen. There he popped open the trash can and tossed the bear in, just like the book said. And I was mortified. And I realized we had a lot of work to do to establish consistent routines in a loving, nurturing environment because we were in love with our son and we needed him to know how much he was loved. Because the science of attachment is also fascinating and it says that the brain can build all new healthy pathways. Whatever you know, had deadened in there, it doesn't matter. The brain can build all around those with one primary ingredient. Here's a big scientific term for you. Love. That's what the science says. The science of attachment says you can rewire the brain with love. And I believe this is from God. I believe we're hardwired for relationships. Perhaps it is God's mechanism of formation. And I believe this is the reason God has provided us the church. And something called the liturgy. Liturgy literally just means work for the benefits of or work of the people. Liturgy is routine. It's consistent. It's predictable. It's repetitious. It's not something we consistently innovate, always trying to come up with some new thing. It's, and I hate, I really do, I hate this catchphrase because it sounds so hillbilly, but we use it around here all the time. It's what we do, right? <laughs> Except when our elders say it, they're always like, what we do. It sounds oversimplistic, but perhaps it's rather profound. I will say that I prefer the phrase, uh, to phrase it more like the Mandalorian version, if you're familiar with your Star Wars, where they say, this is the way. Or a little fun Christian trivia, we actually say this all the time. You may be not realizing you're saying it when we say amen. Amen doesn't mean like, uh, you know, the end or, yeah, I agree. Amen means, so be it. This is the way. This is what we do. Amen. If you were here last week, we talked a lot about the complexity of life, the complexity that exists, and we walked through pretty much the entire Old Testament of the Bible and all of its complexities, 
and the complex narrative of this people interacting with their God. And then we walked into this surprise twist of Jesus that brings this new kingdom. And it goes against almost everything we know in the world. And we talked about the complexity of life and how we, we can't settle for simple answers, that we need to be at the feet of Jesus for discernment, that we need a complex, rich faith that can navigate us through this complex, difficult world. But a rich, complex faith is what we need to grow us and transform us, to give us discernment in the face of complexity. But here's the profound truth. This complex, beautiful, life-giving faith, we experience it maybe as complexity, but it gets practiced as routine and simplicity. Just like the formation of a child's brain is filled with a complex network of synapses, it's tummy time and bedtime routines in the presence of a loving relationship that grows this network in healthy ways. Let me give you some examples of what this might look like on an individual basis. Routines or works that you might establish, just you and God. Here's a couple stories. Tara is a wife and a mother who works full-time managing a company. Pace of life is quick for her. There are many demands between her job and her kids' activities and responsibilities of friends. She knows she must practice slowing, perhaps a routine for being in the presence of God. She knows that to go through days, weeks, months, without the voice of her heavenly, loving Father would be catastrophic, not just for her, but for her family and those she loves. So she has a chair at the back of the house dedicated for times with God. She's let everyone in the house know that for 20 minutes each morning, when she is in that chair, it is her time with God. Short of emergency, she says, I am not to be disrupted. And for the most part, her boundaries are respected by the family. And in this chair, years of transformation have taken place. Her family is grateful. She walks daily with the voice of God. Or maybe someone like Josh. Josh struggles with discipline. He's not one to keep a calendar, and if he did, he would not stick to it anyway. He craves the voice of the good Heavenly Father, but has found it nearly impossible to set aside time and stick to it. He just wonders, what is wrong with me? He realizes that a routine to slow and practice the presence of God is key, so he's just found more spontaneous ways maybe to do it. When he shops at the grocery store, he chooses the longest line. And he uses that time to just be smiles and calm and prayer. He looks at those around him and he asks for eyes of compassion as he just sits there with God and practices patience. He imagines that Jesus is there with him, showing him the way. When he drives place to another, he parks always. It's just his habit. He just parks always at the farthest parking spots. Everywhere he goes, and then he converses with God as he's walking in the buildings as he strolls to his next destination. He and God, this is their routine. Of course, he feels the pressure of hurry, but he knows he will never just set aside the time. He must do it in little moments as they arise. He must just disrupt his hurry, create small ways to listen for the voice of God. Throughout his day, there are many little chats. And over the years, the chats have added up. The good heavenly Father has slowly taught him how to move differently in the world, to notice and care for those around him. Again, 1 Timothy 4, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, 
Do not neglect, neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourselves in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Maybe another way to, to think about this more communally is there's something very special that happens when a parent sits down with a child for a tea party or moves all the furniture in the living room to sleep together that night in a fort. Maybe a lot of you did this sort of thing. This was a routine in my home growing up. Friday nights, we would do up the living room with dad and we'd stay up late watching Creature Feature. Horror movies, maybe not the most appropriate, but it was very formative. It wasn't just a fun time, although it was a blast. It was a formative routine in the presence of a loving caregiver. My brother does these nephew weekends with my boys. Uh, I didn't want to cry. <laughs> so my brother does these nephew weekends, and they've got this sort of ritual they do. They get to choose things to watch. He creates some over-the-top fun game to do because he's really good at that. And they wake up early the next day and they do morning cartoons. This was something he and I loved doing as we were growing up. And my kids love it. It's even become a little bit of a nuisance with one son because for about three or four days before nephew weekends, we have to deal with this duffel bag and this pillow that is just sitting out in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> because my son, the one that once tossed his bear in the trash, insists on being packed up and ready to go. He simply cannot contain his excitement. And so we deal with the duffel bag because the routine is paying off. He feels loved and he's being transformed. And this is how it is with God. Since the dawn of time, the earliest days of the Old Testament, God has provided land, as we talked about last week, or places to be with his people, with practices to be in his presence with tents and tabernacles and festivals and seasons and temples. You can read all about it throughout the Old Testament scriptures. The Hebrews called this hesed, the unfailing love of God. Not a feeling of love. That's what's cool about their term. It's not a feeling of love, but a practice of love. The presence of God in a space, in a land, with the people. And they wandered. And we wander. But God chases us and provides a way for us to be, get, be together again and again. In our age, it's the church. We have a fort building tea party that God has invited us to each and every week. This is our weekly build. It may be routine. It may just be what we do. But with time, and I think consistent proximity to one another, all in the loving presence of our Heavenly Father, it's something that will grow us, and it transforms us, and it renews us. So in all the complexity, perhaps this week is simple. Perhaps next week we can just do a couple things. One, take some time to journal this week about formative routines you've done in your life with family or friends or the church. I really do think this could just be fun. It's just healthy sometimes to just sit in a chair, set aside time to just journal and reflect and see what comes out. 
For some of you, though, you may experience this as, as, as loss. Maybe this really has not. Routines and formative process has not happened for you. And it's okay, if that's the case, to grieve and mourn that. And that would also probably be a pretty healthy start. And then two, consider taking on a spiritual practice or a routine of some sort. Maybe it's setting aside a chair in a quiet time. Maybe it's something more spontaneous like Josh. But whatever it is, find a way to make, to make it routine still. Something that can become a habit. Just one habit. Imagine Jesus at your side and seek his wisdom daily. Maybe it's time to join a small group. That's a routine gathering of followers. If you aren't sure how, maybe it's consider this Discover Growth class that we've got coming around right, right now. Discover Growth is going to be a season of study. It's time to gather as, as, other, other, uh, as other believers. And it will be a weekly routine that I'm sure will be formative. And then finally, perhaps the least profound, but maybe the most important of all, is consider joining us each Sunday for church. Not as something you consume or that meets your needs when you need it or when you want it, but instead of something deeper, as something God has set aside for you, a liturgy, a work of the people, what we do. Let it be something you actually surrender yourself to. Because if this is God's transformative weekly fort-building tea party, then you're not going to want to miss it. And in fact, I believe we've all been called into it. This is the way. This is the work of the people. This is what we do. Routine, routine, routine. And we'll do it again, and we'll remind ourselves again each and every Sunday. It's our simple practice of a complex faith in a complex world. I'd like to brag a little bit on Lakeland to close. My children have grown up in this church. And I tell Twyla all the time, this is the place when I, where our kids learn that other adults are safe and loving. I think so much of our world, we, we love our kids and we want to keep them safe, right? And it is hard, I find, to find spaces where I can just say, yeah, go and hang out. And get some coffee with some of these people. And I love watching people stop and take time for my kids in the lobby. And they just grow up in this world thinking, yeah, the world's good and it's safe. And we just talked about last week how the world's not always good and safe, right? It can be very complex. And I really do believe that week after week, we are manifesting a future kingdom come promised by God in the here and now when we just gather in this routine and we just be Christ to one another. And so I want to commend you for that. I want to thank you for that because it's formative for my kids and it's important for all of us. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So be it. <laughs>